0: I'd like to start off with a Yerushalmi that the first time I saw it, I thought was shocking. The Yerushalmi writes, Korach apikores haya. And Yerushalmi goes on to tell us the famous, the famous points that Korach told Moshe Rabbeinu. And at the end, the Yerushalmi says something incredible. At the end, the Yerushalmi says that Korach actually went as far as to say, En Torah shamayim, Moshe Navi." Now this is incredible because at first we need to understand what was really Korach saying in the first place? What was his point? And then on top of that to understand, the Arizal tells us that Korach was a great man. Matter of fact, the Arizal writes that he won't be surprised if at the time that Mashiach comes, Korach would actually be the Kohen Gadol. And yet, the Yerushalmi says, Korach apikores hayah. So how do we reconcile these two ideas? Was he great or was he really not? So let's start from the beginning of the story and let's try to get a handle. On what was he really trying to say? The first thing he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, we know that tzitzit needs one blue string. It's called the t'chelet. Well, what about if the entire garment was blue? Does it still need that blue string? Moshe Rabbeinu said yes. What does one have to do with the other? Says Korach, one second, Moshe. We know that the Torah tells us Al mizuzot bisharecha, that we should put mezuzot on the doorways of our homes and our gates. Let me ask you something. A house needs mezuzot? Yeah. What about a house that's filled with Sifre Torah? Does that house also need a mezuzah on the door? Says Moshe Rabbeinu, yes. The pasuk says, regardless of what's inside the house, you put him m'zuzah on your doorposts. Korach, what are you getting at? And what does this mean? And even logically, does this at all make sense? Ladies, I want to ask you a question. You, you You want to hear what he's really saying? Says Korach, I'll give you an example. Could you imagine if you had a truck that was filled with tires? So could you imagine someone comes along and says, hey, if I have a truck that's filled with tires, does it still need four wheels in order to drive? You look at the guy like, that. are you joking me or what? <laughs> what is it? What does it matter how many, how many tires are in the truck? What does it have to do with the wheels on the bottom in order to, to drive? But Yekonach turns around and he's trying to make sense out of a ta'ana, that he's saying to the leader of the Jewish people, Moshe Rabinu, Moshe, Mezuzah on the door? What happens if the house has many sefret Torah? Do you still need a mezuzah? What is he saying? What is he talking about? Ladies, Korach was a gadol. He was a great man. Besides being fantastically wealthy, but he was a great man. He was one of the people who actually carried the Aaron on his shoulders. You have to understand, a person who wasn't worthy just to touch the Aaron and live... He carried Aaron, So he must have been on a fantastic level. And everyone understood that if there was going to be a runner-up, he was from the greatest men of the generation. And the Arizal was right. The Arizal told us that Korach started out with the point of truth. The problem was, his timing was wrong. Let me explain to you what this means. This is the depth behind what Korach was saying says Korach, Moshe Rabbeinu, we need to learn from our mistakes. What was the terrible mistake that got us to fall into the Egel, into the golden calf? The Jewish people really believed that they can't go directly to Hashem. They thought that we were a type of religion that you need to go through a middleman. And they looked to Moshe Rabbeinu, Kielu, as the middleman, the one that they went through any time they wanted to reach out to Hashem. This was a terrible mistake. There's nothing further from the truth when it comes to Judaism. Our religion is based on the words Baruch, Ata Hashem. The most powerful word in every blessing is the word Ata. I can talk straight to Hashem. I don't need to go through any secretaries. I don't need to go through angels. I don't need to go through an agent. I don't need to go through a middleman. I can speak directly to God. And you know when we saw this openly? by Matan Torah, Hashem came down on the mountain and Hashem said to the Jewish people, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am talking directly to you. And I'm even allowing you to see me, with the entire legions of heaven, with the entire Pamal Shalma'ala. I'm talking to you so that you'll understand that you could talk directly to me. You don't have to go through it into me. You don't have to go through some sort of a shaliach. But we believe that we can talk. Every Jew has this incredible koach, this incredible zichut, to talk directly to Hashem without having to go through anybody else. But this was the terrible mistake they made by the Egel. They knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to be up In Shamayim for 40 days, 40 nights. And they miscounted, only by 6 hours, but they miscounted. And because Moshe did not come back, sure enough, they said, what what are we going to do now? We have nobody to represent us in front of Hashem. What do you mean represent you? You don't need someone to represent you. You could talk directly to Hashem. Yeah, but we don't have a middleman. We don't have an intermediary. We don't have somebody to... So what did they do? They went... And they made an Egel. They started off with a right intention, a good intention. They started off thinking that they're going to make a new middleman between them and Hashem, because now Moshe is gone. They started with the Egel on a thought that it represented the Jewish people, and later on it went really south, went really bad. It turned into Avodah Zarah. Says Korach to Moshe, Moshe, didn't we learn from this mistake? Didn't we understand that every Jew has the power to go straight and pray to Hashem direct? We don't need leaders. We're all leaders. That's the words of Korach. We're all leaders. We're all equal. We all can talk to Hashem direct. We're not a religion that needs to go through somebody in the middle. We don't need anymore a leadership like yours. And therefore, we all have the rights to the Kehuna and the Kohen Gadol. And now, if you understand this idea of what Korach was trying to get to in a deeper understanding, you'll get a little bit to make rhyme and reason for those incredible but yet weird mashalim that he was saying. He turns to Moshe Rabbeinu. see that has What he was saying was that that blue string is the leader. So he turns around Korach and says, why would you need that blue string if the whole begot is blue? Meaning, if everybody are leaders, we don't need another blue string. The same thing with the Sifrei Torah. The door needs a mezuzah, yes. The mezuzah there in the mashal is the leader. But what happens if the whole house is filled with Sifrei Torah? Do we need another mezuzah? Do we need another leader? We're all leaders. We're all Sifrei Torah. We're all connected. We all connect directly to Hashem. And if that's the case, says, Korach, Kulam kidoshim umadua titnasu b'kahal Hashem. Why are you now a step above the rest of us? You could speak to Hashem the way we all can speak to Hashem. And you know what? The Ariza writes that there is a nikuda of truth that Korach actually did have. Because he's right on the point that every single Jew can talk directly to Hashem with an incredible emphasis, with a tremendous power in koach. And our tefillot can go directly to Kisei akavod. We don't need anybody in the middle. We don't need any help. We just need a heart and a few tears and a good tefillah and we could rip open the heavens. Every single Jew, every one. And if this is the case, then where did Korah go wrong? Says the Arizal, I'll tell you where he went wrong. Because as long as the Jewish people were in the Midbar, as long as the Jewish people later on were in Galut, we always need guidance. Yes, we can pray directly to Hashem, but boy, do we need clarity in what to do in life. And the rabbis are called the Enehaam, the eyes. They're called the eyes of the people. They're the ones that actually give sight and foresight and direction and guidance to be able to see right from wrong da'at Torah to step and question and ask every step in life. And they give us incredible guidance because if not for their guidance, we'll fall, we'll stumble. And therefore, says the Ariza, when Mashiach comes, at that moment, you know what's going to happen? they de'ah. The whole world is going to have this incredible understanding of Hashem. Everything's going to be out in the open. Everything's going to be emet. It's not going to be hester panim. There isn't going to be a mask that's masking the incredible emet of Hashem and the truth of the Torah. That time it's going to be open for everybody. It's like, for instance, on Har Sinai, when Hashem came down to the mountain and said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, did Moshe have to step out and say, by the way, people, you know who that is? Everybody knew that that was Boreolam. Olam. Guess what? When Mashiach comes, it's going to be such an open, clear revelation of truth. Everybody will know the truth. Hashem and the Torah will be able to go to the Beit Shilishi, They'll see the Shekhinah right there in front of their eyes. an Incredible revelation of truth. They won't need anyone anymore to teach them anything. Matter of fact, the Gemara says, what are the rabbis going to do when Mashiach comes? This is a scary speech. (laughs) What are the rabbis going to do when Mashiach comes? And the Gemara says, maybe they'll teach the Malachim. Maybe they'll teach the Goyim. But the Jewish people they're going to have everything so open and clear, there'll be no questions anymore. There'll be everything is clear and open and emet. And if that's the case at that time, in such a scenario of an open revelation of truth and emet, yeah, then already Korach, you're right. And that's why it says the Arizal, I wouldn't be surprised if when Mashiach comes, Korach would be the Kohen Gadol. Because at that period of such a scenario, His point was correct. The problem was in the midbar, he was dead wrong. Because even though you can turn directly to Hashem, and you must pray directly to Hashem, and you have to cry your heart out directly to Hashem, but you still need a Rebbe. And if you don't have a Rebbe, how many times have we tripped and fell on things that we thought were a no-brainer? Questions that we thought we had the answer to without a question, without a doubt. And boy, then we look back and see how wrong we were. And if I would only have asked, maybe I would not have tripped on that. Maybe I would not have fell into that Nisayon. Maybe that Yitzher Harah would not have gotten the best of me. Because I would have turned to a Rebbe. I would have turned to a guide. I would have had Da'at Torah. The eyes of the people. And this says Moshe Rabbeinu Korach. For this you We need to ask our Rabbanim on every step of the way. And therefore, says Moshe Rabbeinu, This didn't come from my heart. I went directly to Hashem. I asked Hashem everything, just like the people ask their Rebbe's everything. And that's where he went wrong. So, although he started out on a good point, but he overdid it. And he was way too early for the truth that he was actually looking to. He was the et azman. And because of that, he went off. And he was not picores And he got as far, he overdid it, and he reached the point to say, en Torah velomoshe Navi. Incredible. You know, the Rambam gave us 13 principles of faith. The Yud Gimel the 13 principles of faith of Judaism. Principle number 7, Principle number seven of the faith of, Jewish, of Judaism states that Torah is min shamayim Principle number eight is lo kam od navi ke-Moshe. That Moshe is Adon ha Nevi'im. So Korach trampled on these two principles of faith. He trampled and violated the principle that Torah is from shamayim. He said at the end, it's not chas shamayim. And he violated... The other point, the next principle, and that was that Moshe is the Navi of Klal Yisra. And you want to hear something amazing? Says the briskarov. Says the briskarov. If you take a look at that famous Gemara on B'atra, the Gemara talks about Raba Bar Rabba Raba had these amazing adventures. And one such adventure, the Gemara highlights, that he met once. Hahut Taye. Taye is an Arab like a Bedouin. Those Arabs that they kind of travel the deserts. A nomad. A Bedouin. So Rambabar Khanna meets this Bedouin and the Bedouin says to him, are you a Jew? And He said yes. He says, come I want to take you to a portion someplace deep into the desert. I want to prove to you that your Judaism is correct. Now Rambabar Khanna doesn't need proof that Judaism is correct. I want to just tell you a little side intro Of who Rabbi Barchana is, the Gemara Nidah talks about this incredible machloket that Hashem and Shamayim had with Pamalya Shalmala, with Bedin Shalmala. They had a machloket in a certain halacha. And the machloket was so fierce that Hashem said to the legions in heaven, let's go down to earth and let's go ask Rabbi Barchana to give us his p'sak, to give us his decision. Who's right? Could you imagine that? Can you imagine one day Rabbi Baruchana is home in the house and there's a knock on the door? <laughs> Who is it? Right? Who's by the door? Bore Olam and the entire Pamal Yishomala coming to say their sides of the Machloket in a halacha for Rabba Baruchana. So obviously you understand, this Rabba Baruchana was a tremendous giant. And here was an opportunity for a Kiddush Hashem. So for the Kiddush Hashem, he decided to go. But the Gemara says he was scared. He didn't know whether to trust this guy. Somebody tells you, I'll take you deep into the desert. And he's an Arab and a nomad and a Bedouin. And oy, va, va. Doesn't sound like a, there's quite a few red flags there. But he decided to go and he went. And Gemara says, this Bedouin took him all the way out deep into the desert. And then he stops and he pulls out his sword. Oh boy. Ram Barakhana really got scared. Could you imagine? Probably thought to himself, this is a good time to say Shema Israel." But then the Arab took off his turban, unwrapped his turban from his head, and he wrapped the material around the edge of the sword. And then he turned to the rabbi and he said, Rabbi, watch this, I'm going to soak the material in water, so it's going to be completely waterlogged. Rabbi, what type of fire would it take to get material completely waterlogged, soaked, to actually burn up and singe in only a second or two? Rabbachana says, you have to have a supernatural fire to do that in a second or two. I mean, it's soaking in water. He took the sword with the silk cloth at the end, and he shoved and stuck the sword into the sand. He pulls it out, and he shows Rabbachana at the end. The material was completely burnt to a crisp. In a second, Khan says, what is that? The ta'ayeh says, come. Put your ear to the floor, to the sand. I want you to listen and tell me what you hear. And he puts his ear to the floor, and this he starts to listen. And he hears the voices and the screaming of Korach and Adato. And the screaming, says the Gemara, Moshe emet, veTorato emet. Says the briskerov. you know why they say those two things? Because we already said that those were the two principles of faith that they violated. Korach said, like Yerushalmi says, "Lo Torah Navi." So, what is his Gehinam for him to scream? What? Moshe Emet. One. to Emet. Two. Torahs from Shamaim, and Moshe is truthfully a true Navi. Amazing. And ladies, you know, you think about this for a minute. This always bothered me. Anyone who learned a little of the sugya of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai on Lamed Gimel, Amud Bet Shabbat. However, Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai came out of the cave after 12 years and he saw somebody that was working not learning Torah and he got very upset and he looked at him and he started to burn him up and he started to burn up the fields and a batkol a voice comes out from heaven and says lachriv olami yatzata. you came out to destroy my world go back into the cave Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai goes back into the cave and how long was he there for another year and the ben yadan many write, you know why he was there for another 12 months? Because the maximum sentence in Gehenam is 12 months. So now, let me get this clear. If the maximum sentence in Gehenam is 12 months, how in the world is Korach and his people still in Gehenam, screaming, Moshe Emet Torah 2,000 years later after it happened when Rabbi Barchanah put his ear to the ground? Now, I know you're going to tell me that our time system here on earth is not the same time system in Shemaim. One day, Shemaim is like a thousand years on earth. Okay, that could be. Uh, That cheshbon, until we know it, we'll never know. So that's a tough one to really, to measure. But I believe that there's something deeper here. Even if 12 months is 12 months, it makes sense. Because every single year, when Hashem on Rosh Hashanah makes judgment, he has two books opened in front of him. What is the famous words of the tefillah that we say every year? Sifre chayim umetim nimtachim The book of life and the book of death is open in front of you. Now we always thought that simply to mean that there's the book of life and the book of death and depending which book you're inscribed and written into is what's going to be your lot for that year. But the rabbis don't explain it that way. The rabbis explain that Hashem opens up the book of life to judge the people that are alive for the coming year. And he opened the book of death to judge the people that already died for the coming year. Now, they already died. What in the world is there to judge them for the coming year? And the answer is that you're not just judged on your deeds, you are also judged on your influence. And this is a powerful idea. Meaning, when a person comes up to Shamayim, and that person, I give you an example, he built the yeshiva. So they give him credit for building a yeshiva, whatever that is in Shamayim, which is probably unbelievable, castles and castles of reward. But wait, the next year, new guys come to the yeshiva. And then the year after that, new guys come to the yeshiva. So the influence that came out from the great thing that this guy did still continues to live on and on and on. And that is still his lot, his reward. So every year, Hashem has to look and see not just what the living did, but what is the influence that was left behind by those that already passed away this past year? because if they brought a continuous good influence into the world they are ra'ui to get something the coming year for that and chas Shalom, in the way of Korach the opposite is true if someone does a sin not only do they get a punishment in shamayim for that sin that they did but if that sin had a negative influence on other people then that negative influence continues to go down and down from generation to generation, and the guy who caused it continues to get beat for it. Because just like the good side, you continue to get what we would call, in real estate terms, passive income and reward for what you put into play. So too, and the opposite is true on the negative side. Korach was the first to inject a certain poison into the people that it hurts to say is still around till today and that is ha, i know as much as the rabbi does yeah let him come in let him give his she'ur. but that's it rabbi don't tell me what to do do me a favor how many times we hear these conversations at home there's always an uncle who knows better than every rabbi that ever lived He's going to tell you how to date. He's going to tell you how to get dressed. He's going to tell you, what the rabbis, he's lame. What does a rabbi know about dating? He knows the Gemara. What does a rabbi know about schools? Yeshivot. He knows the Gemara. What a foolishness. Who started this negative influence? This came from Korach. The ability to question the Rabbanim. To question leadership. Kulam kedoshim. We know we're all the same, Rabbi. You pray, I pray. We all go to the same God, we're all equal. Don't think you're any better than us. What do you know? And it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me, I watched this over the years. You have people that never stepped foot in a yeshiva, that never learned. People that their professions are, they're doctors, they're lawyers, but Torah was never their profession. And somehow or other, they profess to be just as knowledgeable as every rabbi out there, in every area of Hashkafah, Torah, daat Torah, and Halakha. Not just equal, they know better. And I laugh sometimes. I look at the guy and I say, I don't understand. I would never, ever walk into your hospital and tell you how to do surgery on your patient. That's your specialty. You went for years to school on that. I went to yeshiva for 30 years and I spent 18 hours of learning a day. And you're coming and telling that your expertise qualifies you to give an opinion over the rabbi? You now foolish. You sound, and they really believe it. Who put this poison into play? Who started this avalanche of such a terrible poison? that we have no problem demeaning, backstabbing, and talking against rabbinical leadership. Who started this? Korach. And because of that, the negative influence, as long as it's still around, that's as long as he's gonna be in the uh, kele, screaming, Moshe et emet, Torah Toh emet And that's why it's not a wonder how thousands of years later, he keeps being put back in again and again and again because every time some jew opens up his mouth to another rabbi we look back at the author and they put him in for another day and another day and another day we have to be so careful around talmidei chachamim, and especially around the honor of torah god has Shalom, Shalom to speak about talmidei chachamim chas v'shalom, to speak and and, and come off with certain chutzpah. This is something that's rampant, and this is something that we were hoping that Korach v'adato would be able to bring an end to, because that's what their end was all about. And take a look. You might even have a good point, but if you go and put down rabbis, at the end of the day, you'll end up sour, just like Korach, who came to say, And Torah Menashe HaMayim, Ve'loh Moshe Emet. And by the way, I've seen most of these guys, even if they started out with a good point, a good idea, but because they didn't know how to properly bring out and properly give honor to the Torah and Rabbanim, at the end, they buried themselves in the ground. Every one of them, every one of them. And if you haven't seen this recently in the story in London, you see it many times here in Brooklyn at the end the truth comes out. Ay, ay, ay. So, I tell you the truth. I didn't want this dirashah to only be on the negative side of what happened with Korach. So I want to take now the positive, upbeat route to tell you the amazing good that came out of this. There's a great speaker here in Brooklyn who once got up and said that any time he wants the people in his congregation to listen closely to what he's about to say, he always opens up with the opening line. "Rabbi, I found an amazing sigula to become rich. And he says, all of a sudden, the whole room leans in about three inches. Tell us, Rabbi. Rabbi, share it with us. Tell us. What is it? The minute you have a sigula for wealth, oh, baruchu amen. Then everybody loves the rabbi. ladies you want to hear something amazing I have an amazing segula and secret for wealth and how funny it is that it comes from this parasha I want you to listen closely the Gemara Moed Katan tells us the Gemara says that Bane Chaye umizone, wealth health and children Love talyamilta. It doesn't depend on the merits of a person. Ella talyamilta. It depends on the mazal that the person was born with. Now, at first, this could be very disheartening, very disheartening. Matter of fact, oh boy, person hears this just like that, they'll throw in the towel. Rabbi, you mean to tell me I have no hope? Well, I understand. Maybe I wasn't born with the best mazal. But come on, there has to be a way to get around this. What? That's it? The Gibarah says it. Wealth, health, children. It's the way you were born, with the mazal you were born with. That's it. It has nothing to do with merit, That has nothing to do with bizhuta. Says Tosafot, Mesechet Shabbat, Kufnun Vav, Chas Chas Yes, Tosafot says that's true but not with the Jewish people. En mazal bi Israel. Now, at first, when you hear the Gemara say, en mazal bi Yisrael, you might think, uh, oh boy, that there's no mazal to Jewish people. Just the opposite. If you look around the world, you see probably the Jewish people, lefi their ratio of numbers, we probably have more mazal than any other nation in the world. I mean, you take a look, you see how successful the Jewish people are always, in every area, in every business, in every medicine, in any industry that the Jews enter, they they rise to the top like the oil. It's an incredible idea. So what do you mean, in mazal Israel? Says Tosafot, let me tell you what this means. What it means is, is that the Jewish people aren't held to their mazal. No matter what type of mazal a Jew is born with, they're not locked into it. And therefore, says Tosafot, yes, bane chaye mizone, health, wealth, and children, is taluin the mazal you were born with. But if you're Jewish, you're not locked into that. You can break out of your mazal that you were born with, and you could super upgrade it to a mazal of an incredible bar mazal themselves. So even if somebody was born, God forbid, with the mazal to be poor, chas v'shalom, but they could break out of that mazal and become an incredibly wealthy person if they're a Jew. How is that? It says Tosafot al yede gadol through a great Zichut. if a Jew comes along and does a great zikhut bad zikhut not just stop a great zikhut he says zikhut gadol it's funny Rashi over there on Masechet Shabbat says al yede tefillah Rashi says tefillah has the power to raise a Jew above his own mazal to reach things that normally you can never catch but Tosafot doesn't say that Tosafot says al yede gadol a great zikhut What's a great zikhut? I'm not sure. This past Shabbat, I was by my in laws, and I saw a pamphlet on the table from Kupata Ta'ir and it said over there that they're marrying 27 yitomim and yitomot in Israel that have no one to marry them, no money to marry them. Chatan yatom, kala yitoma, from different families, 27. I looked at that and I said, wow, that's a zikhut gadol! Maybe that's what Tosafot was talking about. But you know what's ironic? He doesn't tell us what the Zichut Gadol is. All he says, to Tosafot, you want to break out of your mazal? Lucky you're Jewish, you can. How? Al-Yiveh Zichut Gadol. A great Zichut. But he doesn't tell us what it is. Comes along the Khatam Sofer and the Khatam Sofer says, I got it. I got it. I know exactly what the Zechud Gadol of Tosafot is. I know what he meant. Says the Khatam Sofer, in life, you're going to meet many different people. Any person in life you meet, they have their boundaries. They draw a line at a certain point. Everyone has that line that they draw that they won't go pissed. You know, a lot of times you'll meet people, they'll go along with certain things, they'll be hateful. They'll behave in a certain way up until a certain point. But then everyone has that line that they draw that they say, you know what? Ad Khan. And it's funny, depending on which people you look at, is depending on where they draw that line. Some people, they'll be good, they'll be nice, they'll be wow, they'll be great, they'll be... The minute you touch their pride, that's where they draw the line. They draw the line by the You touch my kavod? Oh, boy. Tipola lechem emata fahat. They draw the line and they come out with cannons. There are some people that they draw the line when it comes to their money. They'll be good dandy and they'll be your best friend in shul. Oh, boy. They'll be the greatest, nicest, sweetest guy. But then the minute you try to do a deal with them, the minute that a few dollars are on the table, or maybe it's two neighbors. The nicest neighbors in the world and then all of a sudden money comes up in some which way all of a sudden it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and you see this guy that in shul is the nicest sweetest Chavod 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 the minute he walks outside and goes to Manhattan what happened to the guy he became a that's what he draws his line when it comes to my money that's why I draw the line. Some people kavod, some people money, some people, everyone has their thing. Says a so fair. You know what David HaMelech says? You know what's the sign of a great person? A person that draws the line, not by the money, not by the kavod. Hasam givulech shalom. A person that their line that they draw, the line that they'll never pass, the line that they say, atkat. That by them is the line of Shalom. Someone who draws their line when it comes up to hurting a situation of Shalom, where the line that they draw is Shalom, where they'll go along and they'll behave and they'll act and everything. But the minute it comes to, God forbid, violating Shalom and bringing it to Machloket, stop. That's where I draw the line this is where I draw the line. I do not enter machloket for nothing. hasam givulech shalom. A person that makes their boundary shalom. A boundary that they refuse to cross over. You know what that person is zochet to? helev hitim That person will be zochet to the fattest of the grain the wealthiest of the wealthy, the greatest of all blessings. Hitim. Yes, the fat wheat, the big deals, the great shefa, will satiate you, will be your blessing, will be your wealth. You'll be the mightest touch. Everything you touch will succeed in life. Why? This person will not fight with anybody. This person draws the line at all costs, I don't cross the line of shalom. I don't enter machloket. What is the proof? What is the proof? Where can we bring a raya to the chatam sofer, a proof? That there's some sort of an amazing connection between wealth and shalom, or the loss of wealth and machloket? Where do we bring such a proof? And the answer is, this is the story. Do you know that the Midrash writes that Korach had 3,000 mules just to carry the keys of the warehouses of gold and silver that he had? We don't even understand what wealthy means until you met Korach. He was beyond wealthy. He was beyond a gazillionaire. Yet, did you understand that the minute Hashem brought on Korach, that terrible fate, that they all went down in the ground. Not just they went down in the ground. Them, their houses, their children, their wives, their money, it all went down. Why? Hashem. Korach was a gazillionaire. Why in the world did you make his money go down into the earth? Leave his money behind. We'll take it. We'll build the yeshiva. Zichron Korach. Give the guy a zechut. Something. What good is having his money go down in quicksand? And the answer is because it's not the money. It's the machloket that brought down the money. And anytime there's machloket there is no blessing. Anytime there's machloket you're playing with fire. Fire burns whether you're right or wrong. Just being near it already is a sakana you got to get out of there hasam shalom if you make your boundary shalom take a look korach made his boundary machloket and all the wealth went down so someone who does the opposite of korach and makes his boundary shalom the wealth will come up to that person in such a fantastic way. And you know we have a clown in Shas. The klal is tova That if you find something to be true by terrible negative things... Kalvechomer, how much more the opposite is true by the good things. So if Machloket can bring down gazillions of dollars of Korach into the ground, how much gazillions of biracha and blessing can Shalom bring to a person if they make their line, their boundary Shalom, a boundary that I'm not ready to cross. It's an incredible idea and it's a proof beyond proof. It's a proof beyond proof. Ay, ay, ay. I want you to hear an amazing story. You know, this is a story that was told over by Rev. Eliyahu Mann, Shalita. He's the uh, private Gabbai of the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky, the Saad Torah Shalita, Arichut Yamim Shanim Ad What's amazing is he says over that there was a Chatan in who got engaged. A month before the wedding, the Khatan was diagnosed with cancer. And this came mamash, out of the blue. They didn't know what to do. Should the wedding go on or not? The Khatan was a Geri Hasid, so they came to the Geri Rebbe. Now, all the Gararebis are bal Ruach HaKodesh. Anybody who knows about the Geri dynasty, they know the greatness of the giants of the Gararebis and the whole lineage. Yet, the Gararebi, Rebbe, when asked the question, he says, this is not a question I can answer. <laughs> they asked Adi Gidolim, and you want to hear? Other Gidolim also said, we cannot tell a girl to marry a chatan that was just diagnosed with cancer. We cannot answer. The only one that can give you an answer to this is the Sarha Torah, the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky. He's the only one that can give a psak on such a very difficult question. Should this chatan and kala marry due to the situation? So they went out to Bnei Brak. They called Reb man the Gabbai, to ask if they can come into Reb Chaim. It was an emergency. And when he heard the Pratim, the details, immediately allowed them in. And here are standing the Khatan and his father and the, the girl's father, the Kala's father as well. And they're standing in front of Reb Chaim to put out their sides. Reb Chaim turns to the Khatan and says, let me hear, it. what's the question? The Khatan says, "Chvod harav. I got engaged to this amazing girl. And now, Shamayim decided, and he tells the rabbi that he was just diagnosed with cancer. He says, it's only a month to the wedding. I insist that the engagement be broken. This girl, she's such a great girl. She should not have to go through a life with a husband, the Chatan, that the shanah Rishona should be through chemotherapy. The wedding must be broken. I cannot put her through this. Immediately the father of the Kala pipes up and says, wait, Harav, wait one second. I want to tell you the side of my daughter. My daughter, the Kala, insists that she marry this boy. She says he's a Talmud Chacham. He's a Ben Torah. And his Torah is going to protect him. And she has no question She's ready to go through with him the chemotherapy, and she's ready to go through with him everything that's going to be brought because Shamayim brought this, and it must be for the best. She's ready to stand by him and his Torah. She insists that the wedding goes on. Rabbi Chaim looks at these two. He looks at the Hatan, who took the side of the Kala, and he looks at the father of the Kala, saying over the Kala's side, taking. Taking the side of the hatan, and Chaim is looking like, what's going on here? Putting today, what's going on, what's going on here? Chaim he looks at them and he says, "Okay," and he gives his psak. Chaim says, "There's no question in his mind that they must get married." They heard this. Everybody in the room got very emotional. The Chatan, the father of the Kala. They hugged each other. They made a lachaim, another Lachayim. And this time, they had no doubts. If this was the Psak of the great Gado, then this is what they're doing. A month later, the night of the wedding, the wedding is in Bnei Brak. Rebel Yaman comes into Chaim Kanievsky and says, Harav, you remember a month ago, the Chatan and the Kala, the boy with the cancer? He said, Yeah. He says, Well, you gave them a B'rachat to get married. He gave him a psak to get married. Tonight's the wedding. I know that Reb Chaim, he tells him, doesn't go to weddings. He doesn't have time to go to weddings. If he went to weddings, he'd go to wedding every single night. He doesn't have time to go to weddings. He says, but you know, this is a special case. And it'll be a tremendous chizuk for the Chatan and Kala, considering the situation, if Reb Chaim would show by the wedding to just give a biracha. So Reb Chaim says, mask him. Let's go. So they come to the wedding. Now nobody knew the Reb Chaim was coming to this wedding could you imagine the scene in middle of the groupa <laughs> the khatarn walked down the kala walked down and Reb Chaim kanievsky walks into the room and the whole Wedding stops, like the music went, you know, and the whole thing stops. And everyone looks around, and they start singing, and everyone splits the whole room. And Rab Chaim comes in, and they walk him up to the chuppah, and the chattan looks at the kala, and the kala looks at the chattan, and they cannot believe that the gadol ador just is standing on the de chuppah with them. And Reb Chaim, I, you know, I feel for the Rav who was being with Sader Kidushi. <laughs> I'm sure he gave up the cup and he gave it to and Rabhaim made the Birachot. And then he danced with the Chatan. And he gave them such Chizuk on this wedding. Well, when Rabchaim was done, Rubhaim went outside to the car. Rabb Yaman was waiting outside to take him back home. When Rabchaim comes into the car, Rebelliaman Yaman turns to him and says, Harav. Now that the wedding is done, and now that they're married, I need to ask you a question between me and you. How did you have the shoulders, the confidence? What were you basing your psak to tell a girl to marry a hatan with cancer? What were you thinking? That's what he asked him. Not an easy question to ask, but I guess he was close enough to ask. So Reb Chaim looks at Reb Yaman and says, My Pesach? Don't you know it's a Midrash in Parshat Noach? Sure. <laughs> a Midrash. <laughs> I mean, obviously, if he knew it, he'd say it. A Midrash in Parshat Noach? What are you talking about? Reb Chaim said to Reb You don't know the Midrash. The Midrash tells us about Alexander the Great. Alexander, at one point, conquered practically the entire world. He heard about a country. The name of the country was Katya. It was on the other side of the globe. And he went and traveled out months till he finally got to this little island, this country. He heard that the sun in this land, the sun was extra bright and therapeutic and special. He was wondering, how is it possible that the sun in one land could be different than the sun back home where he came from? So he went to find out the secret of Katya. He comes to this little country And the king heard that Alexander is coming. The king was waiting at the shores to greet Alexander the Great. And he had with him gold and silver. Alexander says, I didn't come for your gold. I come for your silver. I don't need your money. I want to know your secret. How is the sun shining on this land in an incredible way? The king says, oh, you came to find out our secret. For you to see our secret, you have to sit with me in our courthouse. One day, and you'll see it. Alexander comes to the king, with the king to the courthouse of Katya. The king sits on his throne, which was also the seat of judgment. He was the judge. In walks two men. They bring in the next case. One man comes in, your majesty. I sold a piece of land to this guy. And after he bought the land from me, he started digging. And he found the treasure in the ground. And now he comes back to give me the treasure back. When I sold the land, I sold it lock, stock, and barrel. When I sold him the land, I sold him the dirt and everything in it. And therefore the treasure belongs to the buyer, to him. The buyer says, Your Majesty, don't believe this guy. When I bought the land, I didn't know about any treasures. I paid for dirt. My mind was only on the purchase of the ground, of the dirt itself, not any treasures. And therefore, when I went and dug up this treasure, I have no rights to it. This belongs to the owner of the land. And therefore, he must take it back. The king of Katya, starts uh, stroking his beard. And he thinks. And he turns to the seller and he says, Do you have a son? He says, Yeah. He turns to the buyer and he says, Do you have a daughter? He says, Yeah. He says, Here's my psak, My ruling. Your son is to marry his daughter and you give the new couple the treasure and like this both sides have an equal nahat and benefit from the treasure that's being brought forward the king of Katya turns to Alexander and says so what do you think of the judgment Alexander looks at him and says very interesting the king says Alexander what what what, what would you have judged Alexander says, what would I judge <laughs> I would have taken out my sword I would have killed the seller, I would have killed the buyer, and I would have taken the treasure for myself. The king of Katya says, that's why the sun in your land does not shine the same way it does in this land. You see, ladies, when someone is able to take the side of the other person in an argument, when someone is able to be mevater and let things go, when someone is able to stop for a moment and watch the world beyond the tip of their own nose, and take up the cause of the other person and be mevater and let it go. It says Rav Chaim Kanievsky to Yaman, my entire life I've seen any time somebody took up the cause of the other person in the fight and they were mevater never ever did Hashem let them lose out. This chatan cried to me over the side of the kala. This kala's father cried to me over the side of the chatan. I knew at that moment for sure, like the Medrash and Parshat Noach of Katya, that these two were meant to get married and that Hashem will never let them down. He will have a refuah shleima. They will bring up a beautiful family with many do- Dore, Doro, Doro, Yisharim. Amazing. Look what it means. Look at the concept of Shalom. Look at the concept of what it means to let something go, to take up the side of somebody else to step out of yourself for a minute and to be able to actually comfort and see where somebody else is coming from and endorse it. It's not easy. Far from it. But at the same time, says Reb Kanievsky, HaSam Shalom. If you make your boundary Shalom and you let things go and that's a boundary you won't cross, know this, you won't lose. Yes, You get the blessing of all blessings, and everything you touch will be baruch. Everything you all touch will be blessing. Like the great, <clears throat> the great Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky used to say. He says people used to say that when someone's in an argument and then they mevater, they let it go. People will say, "Oh, you mevater, you're a tzaddik." Oh, this guy was mevater. He let it go for the sake of shalom. He's a Balmidot. Says Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Not true. Someone who's Mivater he's not a tzaddik, he's not a balmidot. You know what he is? He's a chacham. He's smart. Because never was someone in a situation that they draw the line and they let things go for the sake of peace, never did that person lose out. We should be zoche to the great blessing. hasam sam shalom. cheliv chitim yaspi'ech. To look up to the Rabbanin, To look up to da'at Torah. And to remember the blessing of Klal Yisrael is the greatest blessing of Shalom. Thank you for listening.